You're listening to Free Your Inner Guru, a podcast for big-hearted leaders making a meaningful impact in the world. We have big conversations about conscious leadership, choosing a life of personal growth, spirituality, and the self-help industry, so you can connect to your inner wisdom and become the leader you want to see in the world. To become a part of the Free Your Inner Guru online community, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook, where we take the conversation online. Now, on to this week's episode. Welcome to Free Your Inner Guru. I'm your host, Laura Tucker. We've got lots of great stuff on the agenda today. Our guest is Louise Karch. She is a naming expert. She's the author of Word Glue, Find Your Million Dollar Brand Name. And the thing that stuck with me with this conversation, well, two things actually. The first is when she said, all leaders will have to name something. The truth of that just, it resonated so deeply that it not only became the name of this episode, but it got me thinking about not just brand names, but various initiatives and projects, as well as the energy that goes into naming even a blog article or a course. So this is a conversation about naming, but it's also a conversation about conscious leadership. So Louise, the two are entwined. You want to have powerful names to be able to create the impact and make the change you want to make in the world. I've got a copy of Word Glue right here beside me. It's gorgeous. It's a really pleasing tactile experience, believe it or not. And um, it got me thinking, you'll hear a little bit about how the name Free Your Inner Guru came to me three years ago. And as it turns out, it wasn't just a happy accident. In the book, there are a number of strategies to name things and it fits ever so neatly into one of those categories. So listen up for that. But also, you know, you're going to want to think about what you're naming in the world to be able to get it out and have its maximal impact. Um, I edited this episode a couple of weeks ago and planned to release it last week. And then after reviewing it again, I realized that it was time to move forward with an initiative of my own. And it felt like this needed to be the podcast episode, which was the first podcast to be released from the brand new website, freeyourinnerguru.com. It was getting super crowded over on lauratucker.com. And as you'll hear, I've always had a vision of Free Your Inner Guru being a place where leaders gather, whether that's a place online as a website or our leadership community or having many voices like on this podcast. And um, I found paradoxically having so much going on over on my website was hindering not just the expression of that, but my own self-expression because I was trying to check all the boxes that perfectionist in me was really driving and um, and it was very difficult to express some of the things that I want to write and share in first person that um, are not out of alignment with the brand Free Your Inner Guru, but it just, if you understand energy and, and blocks um, versus flow, you'll, you'll get what I'm saying, I think. So anyways, I encourage you to check out the new website. It is in a bit of flux, but the podcast is there. The community is there. And if you visit um, time and time again over the next few weeks, you'll probably see changes every single day. So um, but I'm very, very happy about it. And I'm super happy to be releasing Louise's conversation as the first one, because it is integral to this idea of naming, having an impact, and um, and what it means to be able to communicate with words clearly what your ideas are, what you care about, what's important to you. Enjoy the conversation. Louise is high energy. I have not met anyone who doesn't just love her, quite frankly, So um, and love working with her. So uh, with no further ado, I give you Louise Karch. 
I'm so pleased to welcome Louise Karch to the podcast today. You're going to love meeting her. She and I have crossed paths in a couple of different ways these last couple of years, which we'll share all about. Louise is the author of Word Glue. It's a, a book that most recently won the Axiom Business Book Award for 2020, which is a big, big deal. And uh, Louise calls herself a name whisperer and a community game changer. And uh, I've seen Louise at work in a big community and uh, it's just super expiring. And this is a very well-timed conversation. So it's a long accolade, Louise, but welcome to Free Your Inner Guru. Thank you. It's a pleasure and a delight to be with you and your fabulous listeners. So let's go back to this book. Um, We were just talking about um, the role of having a book in leadership. And I was able to learn a little bit about your journey with your book on um, a conference call that we were on a few weeks ago. And it was fascinating to me. It certainly opened my eyes to this, um, this progression that writing a book can take in many, many forms. But I, ha- I don't think I've had it prefaced as, you know, just go for it, go for it, go for it and keep reiterating. So can you share with us um, a little bit first about yourself and then that journey into to writing your book? I would be delighted to do that. You say on your website that great leaders are great readers. Yes, I looked at your website and all your book recommendations (laughs) from a family that loves to read. My grandfather, whose picture is behind me as we talk, came from a large family, a very, very poor family, and he became a voracious reader. And that love of learning changed his life. That inspired his daughter, my mom. I grew up surrounded by words. My mom used to write down the stories I would tell because I would make up crazy character names, like just crazy character names. So I've been naming things for almost as long as I could speak. And when I moved from gorgeous Canada, hey, we the North, to Melbourne, Australia, my business model wouldn't work here. And so I had to figure out what to do. And so I went to the branding space. And then I realized, hmm, nobody's really doing naming. I had always wanted to write a book. I'd actually started a bunch of books, but I didn't finish them because I cared too much about them. Happy to talk about that. And then, it just, then I had this client, this woman, um, Belinda Bardas, who's part of a huge philanthropy organization, one of the most generous philanthropy groups in Australia. And she had her family get away in Hawaii where they were going to name some things. My girlfriend said, hey, Louise is writing a book on naming. And Belinda gave me a call. She's like, great. I need it for June. I was like, huh, Okay. That was February. So I started writing it in February of uh, 2017. And so I had to finish it by June. So I would say um, having a hard deadline is really helpful to finish. Knowing who you're writing for is really helpful. So that little book was called Name Fluence. And it was pretty good. I spoke it. So I used speech to text. I edited. I got it out the door. I hit send. And let me pause there because you're going to have questions. That was iteration one. So let me pause there. Okay. So my first question was actually to, it's going to feel like a backtrack, but I bet others are curious too. In your, when you moved from to Toronto to Melbourne, why wouldn't your business model carry over with you? I had a similar situation when I moved from BC back to Toronto. So I'm very curious. I'm curious about that. Uh, for sure. So I will say that in two layers. One, I think it's wonderful if anybody on your uh, podcast, uh, in your podcast community has a chance to live and work in another country, go for it because it really helps you understand culture uh, and values and how those values get brought to life. So I moved here. I was formerly doing career management as an outplacement practitioner. So I've been in the career management field. I worked for Richard Bowles, What Colors Your Parachute fame, and uh, Bill Carswell, Carswell Partners. Some beautiful people doing beautiful work. But outplacement as a model doesn't work in Australia the way it does in Canada. So it was like, uh (laughs) uh-oh, what am I going to do now? But I had already been doing some branding because personal branding and marketing are cousins. And I had read tons of marketing books, which is how I got connected with Seth Godin. So I really, I actually, when I first arrived here, because I moved here, my partner got a whole bunch of scholarships to do her PhD here. And um, it was an opportunity of a lifetime. 
I came, I had no network, no contacts, no business. I went under the duvet, we call in Canada, they call it a duna here. I ate chocolate, I got depressed, and then I was like, okay, gotta get out of that, gotta find what's next. And you said that was 2017. That was a bit before that, but it was 2017 where I realized how long I've been naming things and the difference the naming I had made to companies bottom line when I had simply changed their name. Like it had doubled uh, soul science. I renamed this guy and I should have told, backed up and told you the full story there, but with their new name, he had 130% revenue generation increase in 18 months with a name change. It's like, Oh my gosh. So I realized it was a superpower um, and that I could write about it. And there were very few books on naming and girlfriend, they're on my shelf. I can point to them. They're pretty, they're not very dense, big font, you know, either small books or big font. They, they didn't really share all the proven naming methods. So I decided I was going to be the one to do that. So I am so curious because I went through a process to come up with the name for your inner guru and I didn't have any, well, I'm going to say I had inner guidance and life experience guidance, but I didn't have any professional guidance or input. So it'll be very interesting to see how, whether I fluked some of it or whether, <laughs> or whether, whether there's going to be a name change, which there's not <laughs> because I own the trademark. <laughs> so but and that's a key point for your listeners. You own the trademark, which is really important because now you want to get your name and it has to be trademarkable in the markets that you serve. And it's getting harder and harder to do that. So no, you've got a great name. You have official approval. You've got a great name and congratulations for trademarking it. Thank you. And it's interesting because I haven't even shared it, but I just found out on Friday about the trademark in the United States. So I've had the Canadian trademark for a little while, but I think, you know, Let's, let's actually talk about that journey for anyone who's listening who has their own thing that they're making or want to make. And, and when that moment is, like I've always been Tucker Consulting or Laura Tucker Consulting LTD. That's my corporation name. And it wasn't until I was creating something, this podcast, that I, that I realized that Laura Tucker Consulting wasn't going to do it for one, but also that I was creating something maybe that was going to end up being just a little bigger than just me. And so I wanted to move the equity away from my personal identity into something else. Tell me what you're nodding. Tell me what you're, you're thinking. So the research that was done by Scott, Stern and Jorge Guzman out of MIT, the number one university in the world in terms of which ranking you look at, and their business school. They looked at all the startups in Silicon Valley from 2001 to 2011, and they're trying to figure out what makes some startups succeed, what makes them fail. Well, it turns out naming is one of the elements that matter. Uh, entities that trademark their name were 70% more likely to succeed. Now, it's not causal, it's not like pick a name, trademark it, you will succeed but it's a best practice. But what they also realize, and I'm going to flip through my book to make sure that I actually get this stat right. Um, you don't want to get a stat wrong when you're on a podcast with Ms. Laura Tucker. Um, <laughs> one moment, please call her. What they discovered, here we go, page 27, is they discovered that eponymous names, so enterprises named after the person, <laughs> had a 70% less likelihood of succeeding. Wow. So exactly if if they were if they're trademarked, yeah, sorry, let me get this stat right. So if they're trademarked, they were five times more likely to succeed. If they're named after the person themselves, they had a, a 70% less likely to succeed rate. And they were looking at all the startups, they were looking at uh, companies that were measured in the and mentioned in the press. So that's MIT, that's real research. So you knew intuitively that you needed to name something bigger than you. Interesting. So you get that idea and you think, ah, it's not going to be bigger than me. I don't need to do that. I don't need to hire anyone to name my business. I'll just call it X, Y, Z or Z. And I, I've done that. What is, what is in the name? To, money. Money. Yeah. 
money's in the name, but, but what, what do I mean by money? We're now in the attention economy. So your brand has a, a second, if not less, to break out, not blend in. And having worked with some companies both to name or rename their brand, if you can get noticed, because the brain is always filtering out information, you want something that's going to do what I call pull focus. When it pulls focus, people will lean into it. So free your inner guru because the word yours in it. Oh, I think that's for me. Free. We love the word free. Inner. Oh, it is about me. Guru. Hmm. So like you've got this name that pulls people on a journey. Um, recently, I named a Canadian tech company. Um, and uh, they were going to call themselves Becumble. They were going to call themselves a whole bunch of things. So the team used my book to generate a bunch of names. And they came up with a really excited. It's going to be Becumble because you have to be willing to stumble. And I'm like, that will not get you the attention you deserve. Nobody wants to invest in a name that makes you feel like, say the word Becumble. Well, I... Well, it makes me, it's a, it's a literal stumbling. Like it stumbles in your mouth, like stumbles, one of those words. I know there's a, a name for them, but it sounds like what it means. Automatopoeia. That's what it is. Yeah. 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 So they chose the name Inkly. I-N-Q-L-I. Say Inkly. Inkly. How do you feel when you say Inkly? It's cute. Yeah, it's got bounce, right? And they're working with young people and they did they did market testing to see what they didn't tell them what it was for. They said, what do you think or feel? And actually that's the key thing is what do you feel when you say this? Because the brain does this. We filter out, then we focus. That's unconscious. Then we feel something. Then we figure out why we feel that way. So I call that the F factor. Um, that's the order. So if your name for those of your leaders, all leaders eventually have to name something. And if they get realized, be brave because you have to pull focus. If people are asking you to be too safe, you won't get noticed above the noise. You know what? I also found after I came up with the name, it was almost like putting up a, a flagpole where I had always kind of been in and out of the spiritual closet. And, you know, every time I would be uncomfortable, I would go kind of crawling back in and hide behind Laura Tucker consulting or business coach. And, uh, and then once I committed to that, it was a full loan commitment. And I started saying it uh, and the people who weren't resonating anyways would just almost like turn around and run in the other direction and then the people who did, they, they, they're just like, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> so that's and exactly that's for them. That's exactly what you're talking about. That's so good, Laura. You've done really well with that. Uh, well, thank you. And I, it was actually quite divinely, I should tell the story when, and maybe I'll put it in the oh, book. Tell it now, tell it now. This is great. I, well, I, yeah, I guess I totally can. So I had, this was like, it was in some of the time frame you're talking about, actually, it would have been April, 2017 when I went to a conference that was just a great big pitch fest. So I was just about to leave and I ended up going, walking into audit a workshop on podcasting. I thought, you know, this could be kind of cool. And the gentleman who was giving it, his name is uh, Sam Crowley. And uh, I remember him because he was very kind and I'm always an avid participant in a classroom, former teacher, total geek, right? So, and also just there to suck all the value I can. So I spoke to him afterwards in, in the hallway and, uh, and he was very frank with me. And he said, he asked me like, are you self-taught? And I was like, e everything. And he's like, well then go and just, you heard enough today to go and get started. And if you don't have a podcast in three months, come speak to me, like come back. And so, you know, and I love that, you know, he wasn't looking for the sale in the moment. He was just being super candid. And, and uh, so I never, three weeks later, I had a podcast going, but I was like, I have to name this thing. And I started um, Googling around and I wanted it to be, I wasn't clear on even what it was or who it was for at this point, but it, it was part of reclaiming my voice. And I had the biggest the biggest resistance to the idea of guru. And there's going to be a full-blown irony about that in the coming months. But, um, but I was, there were times, I don't know if you know my, my personal story or not, but there were times in the last 10 years where somebody who would suggest to me that I'd followed a guru or whatever, I would almost be catatomic, like traumatized by that idea. And 
So, you know, I spent years and years resisting it. And I was started going, looking at inner wisdom and what was taken and what wasn't and was searching in iTunes, was searching in Google. And I came across, I'm not kidding you. It was a sermon. It's a podcast, a, a sermon from um, a minister in some like, I don't remember the denomination, like Baptist or evangelical. It, it, it had to have been evangelical, but his sermon gay kind of planted this idea it, that I picked up the thread and followed. And then I started looking and the dot com was available and there was no other podcast called that. And I'm sitting there simultaneously horrified and enthralled with the idea of owning that, like not owning the trademark, like owning the idea of you at some point you get beyond following or learning and you, you, you're never beyond the idea of learning, but you are now sourcing the wisdom from within. And it landed just so deeply that I, I was like, I was compelled. So that's what I mean. Like I intuited my way along this path and it's been really rewarding to see how, it fits into even where I initially came across you in, um, in the marketing um, seminar with Seth Godin, like really putting that name and that brand to work in there and realizing like, Oh crap, like this, this can work. And notice that sentence. Oh crap. This can work. It's that dance that we have. And you, I'd love you to speak more about that. Cause I certainly had it for my book too. Is anytime we're, Letting that truth really sink in. You know, I, I listened to that podcast where you talked about being bored as a kid. And I thought, yeah, but bore is also the word for digging deep. And now mm-hmm. look at your life. You're helping people dig deep. And when you get one of those ahas that resonate, it's almost like it displaces doubt and it displaces um, anything that we need to clear away in order to step into our new self. You know, we've seen in recent weeks and and months, I guess plural now, where people have been, you know, it have been really super challenged in their their life and their business. I know a lot of the people that I that I work with are small business owners or in industries that have been highly affected, and you're seeing the people do things like move to video online where in previous years they experienced enough resistance to that idea, that concept, that skill set that they wouldn't do it. And I loosely include myself in that group. Um, but it was something that it's a, but, and an, and right. So it's, but I had kind of gone through it and I hadn't become natural. So you know, sometimes the change does come from circumstances outside of us, but it's how you respond and whether or not it's full-blown reaction or if you're like, all right, it's time to really go to the next level because there's always a chance, there's always a choice to go to the the corner over there and and curl up into a ball as well. And even just listen way you said that all right it's time to go to the next level it's like that all you know there there is and Seth calls it the resistance Richard Bowles called it the safekeeping self different people have different language to describe that willingness to step into uh, almost a warrior state we have to be willing to be visible and that takes courage absolutely and so how does going back to word glue that was named, I don't have the old, the former name written down in front of me. It was name fluence. Name fluence. Okay. So and journey- that's a lousy name. That's just a portmanteau. I smashed two words together because I couldn't come up with a name. I mean, the name was for her. It took a while for her to find her own name. Well, of course, right? <laughs> kind of how it works. Right. <laughs> It's like, uh, it's like name whisperer, whisper to yourself, you know, like it's, and now leaders lead yourselves where we're, it's all about, even without the extraneous chaos, it's, it's always about grabbing onto what's true and, and moving yourself forward. 
And it's not just moving yourself forward. We are living through, as you said, an extraordinary time. My wife's mom is in an air cage, air cage, air age care home. Oh my gosh, I can hardly say it. Um, age care home just north of Toronto. And um, they've had a COVID outbreak on um, Audrey, my mother-in-law's floor. Well, your podcast is also about conscious leadership. We can talk more about the book for a second, but I do want to address the conscious leadership because we have to learn how to lead ourselves, but we also have to be willing to speak up even when it's uncomfortable. And so this journalist, we were getting news about what was happening in the aged care home from this journalist who wrote a paper that publishes the Georgina Post. That's how we were finding out what was going on. And so Liz wrote a note to say thank you um, on his site. He took a quote from hers and created a new article. At first she was upset. Then she realized, no, that, so Liz is a gerontologist, that advocacy and thank you that she did turned into a public discussion that was going and got stronger. And now there is a SWAT team that's at, and they're separating those who are infected and those who aren't. So Conscious leadership is also about how willing are you to bear and witness what's happening. And when you see what's happening, what role do you want to play to bring your voice into the conversation, to bring that conversation forward and to make change that matters happen? You know, it's, I love that you've, you've put it in those terms because, you know, a lot of the times because self-care was a huge part of my healing journey that culminated in Free Your Inner Guru, I often stay focused there and it's never, it's, it's never with the intention of leaving the others behind, but it also reminds me that even when I'm speaking about self-care, like it takes courage to be able to speak up in an environment that may not receive it well, or might cause a stir or create opinion, much less, you know, opinion or polarization, and so there's always this inherent risk when you use your voice in a public forum. And, and, and that's where the self-care comes in, in my thoughts of how this pieces together into the, you know, all the pieces of a puzzle that make a leader. And you can think of it as pieces of a puzzle, but you can also think of the, um, have you ever sweet, seen the sweet grass? Uh, braids that are created in created in First Nations community. These braids of grass, sweet grass. I am. I if I had to guess, I'd say yes. Yeah. I, so I would go is, googling, but yeah. Yeah. So it's what well, sweet grass is a beautiful smell for those people who live uh, in Ontario or uh, in parts of Canada where sweet grass grows. It's a it's a sacred plant in many First Nations, and they will weave the sweet grass together and hang it as a reminder of different things depending on their nation and the history. But when you talk about the pieces of the puzzle as a leader, so how you weave your talents and you, as you work with your leaders and help them be true to themselves and find their way forward, you're a warrior and a healer. It's both. And so your work one-on-one is where your gift lays. And for Liz, her work in terms of advocating for seniors, that's her life's calling. Um, conscious leadership. I mean, this is just on my desk. I'll grab it. If for those of you who are seeing it, you know, our local seamstress made masks mm. and Liz and I got a ton of them and put them on our port. So anybody who wanted a mask could take a mask. And cause I'm a namer, it's called masquerade. So when you use your talents in service of others, you become both a warrior and a healer. That's an integration of those aspects of yourself. And that's very, it's, it's a very powerful place to be. And it's can be really scary. So, you know, who you have around you, what are your daily practices or your rituals or, you know, um, Angelis Arian and Dr. Angelis Arian studied First Nations cultures around the world. She would say, when was the last time you sang? When was the last time you danced? When was the last time you told a story? When was the last time you appreciated the sweetness of silence? I'm, and I'm going to say this morning. <laughs> Great. Thank goodness. Great. Um, I feel like we're going down a path here, but I'm also very curious what other leaders are doing. And, you know, you're a part of that. You, you have your own community. You're part of Seth Godin's community and you're a leader within that community. Um, what are your, your 
what are your own rituals and practices that that keep you um, on the in the in the best place for you to be able to show up and serve? That's a great question. I some people are daily practice people, so they'll write every day. Um, and some people are more seasonal. I'm, I'm and I'm more seasonal, more project oriented. So um, I try and live as conscious a life as I can. And when I see, feel, hear, I stop and go, what does this mean for me? And what can I do? So when COVID happened, and because of Seth's blog, and he talked about the pandemic and that the the best strategy was shelter in place, I was sheltering in place. And I sent out a note to my community about sheltering in place right away. Um, One of my friends who had asthma, and could have been at risk, asked her boss if she could work from home really early uh, in February. So she was safe. I organized my street. I'd already, as a newcomer to this country, Canada has a really different, like we're, Canada, we're porch people. Like we're, we're much more easily community oriented. Canada does come from the word Canada, which is an Iroquois word, which means village. We're naturally more villagey people. Why? And see, okay, I had to do that. So when COVID happened, I organized my street. I wanted to make sure that everybody knew they could ask for help. Um, we have some seniors on the street. We have a couple of seniors that are at risk. So my practice is to notice. Mm. It's to notice and ask, what of this is mine in my circle of influence? And, and the, the most wonderful thing about being a leader is you can do way more than you think you can. We had a park down the street. I grew up across the street from Eglinton Park. We had a park down the street. Parks were important to me. We had a terrible park. It was completely neglected. Well, you know, I put in a proposal. And we got $350,000 from council to repair the park. Like it just takes one person to notice. So my daily practice is I'm always going, what a three things. My partner and I were always going, my wife, we've been married for Feels like ever, which is good. Um, we're about to celebrate 17 years. Um, we do a daily gratitude every day. What are three things you're grateful for and why? Martin Seligman's research on gratitude is really strong. You need to not say what you're grateful for alone, but it's the and why yes. that helps. He says, right, listen, I do it verbally. Um, that's definitely one of the practices. And usually I'm also doing exercise every single day. Um, I've got a little bit of a foot injury, former figure skater, that'll heal. So I'm not as physically moving as much as I would like. And, I, and when my gym is open, I'm doing yoga all the time and I'm working out regularly and all those good things. So, yeah. Have you found um, sheltering in place? Has it, has it changed things much for you? Are you able to maintain your routines or level of activity? Uh, it certainly created a little bit of wobble as I was like really trying to figure out what does this mean? Um, I mean, I have a home-based business anyway, mm-hmm. so that didn't change. I'll tell you one of the things I loved is because it's happening, it began for us in Australian summer. So families were home, walking up and down our street, and I planted a community garden out front. Um, and so they would stop, and um, at a distance we'd talk. Two little boys, three- and five-year-old Oliver and Grayson, created a fairy garden at the end of my, at my uh, garden. So two boys created a fairy garden that other kids would stop and put things in. So these beautiful conversations would happen. So I will miss it when people go back to work because I'll be reading a book. You know, I try and read regularly too. It's a daily practice. I've been reading my book on the porch and these beautiful conversations would happen. So, you know, I mean, what's changed is we, we are probably going to lose Liz's mom. You know, she's. Oh, Louise. Well, but you know, like I know, like, that almost makes me want to cry. And, and it's an unnecessary the thing with COVID. It's an unnecessarily long tragedy that's going to continue to unfold. But look, I don't want to have your listeners stay yeah. there. What, what I've no, learned is. Out of it. But you know, I do, but I do, like, I do think it is helpful. And I'm finding like, even today I posted about my ridiculous flaming eyelids and on Instagram and Facebook. And that's not a normal post for me to just be like, this is what's happening. But the feedback that I received and the reason why I think it's going there is people need to hear, yeah, me too. And it, and and it's not the flaming eyelid, like for the listener, if you haven't seen, I have a weird eyelid thing going on. 
And the only thing that's good about it is that they're not flaming red, but they feel they've been feeling like they're on fire for almost four to six weeks. I don't even remember. Like it's ridiculous, but people need to know that their challenges are real challenges, even if they're weird challenges, <laughs> you know, and even if their challenge doesn't in fact in, in impact other people beyond <laughs> their mood in the present moment. And you know, I say that with love because I think we have gone through years and years and years of like shiny, perfect Instagram curated perfection being held up to us as this is how a leader looks. This is what gets appreciated in society. This is what makes money. And I just think it's been absolutely refreshing to see everyone from, you know, in our case, the prime minister who very badly needs a haircut to kids running behind you know, Hugh Jackman or, you know, wh whatever it is, everyone is kind of, there's been a, even though there's so many splits and dichotomies in society, on some ways we've all been kind of humanized as, yeah, we're inherently vulnerable and we're all flipping challenged. Like, and, and that's real. Yeah. It, and pain is an invitation to empathy. And because your work is about conscious leadership, we don't, have a food problem. We don't have a PPE problem. We have an empathy problem. So if we cared enough about our seniors, we wouldn't have them in these warehouses where part-time care workers are paid badly and are going from place to place to place so they can make a life and a living. And now they're spreading the COVID-19. So empathy, and as we see this tragedy unfold in developing countries, and as we see leadership, both national and global, fail or succeed, if we don't have empathy going forward, this is the great call, I feel like, in terms of conscious leadership. It's to care enough about ourselves. Yes, you know, your eyes are not just red, but they probably are scratching and hurting. You know, in many practices, let me just grab a glass of water here. Hang on. You know, you will do a meditation around this is the pain that I'm feeling. Who else is feeling this? Yes. How do I love myself in this state? And how do I love others who are in this pain? And that awakens the doorway to a wholehearted activism that we need now. And this, this brings it right around to the conscious leadership, but also why it's so important to hold people's attention coming right back around to your work where there's so much noise and so much news and some of that is both and being able to like stick that flag up and say it's not for everyone but it's for you and to be able to gather people in order to create change or bring awareness and I think that's the been part of what I have had the the, the great benefit of the last year of kind of hanging around and, and taking the courses that you help facilitate in Seth Godin's um, organization is this huge emphasis on empathy. And it really brought like hanging around in the spiritual circles, you know, you, you see people identifying as empaths and, and there's, there's a whole journey there in terms of being able to, manage being able to feel other people's energy and and so forth but but empathy as a way of being a way of leading a way of marketing is like three layers deeper and that's where i like to dwell right the the surface stuff holds my attention but i like many people got caught up for a time and all that surface noise that is really more about tactics than it is about really the, the core of what, what creates change in human beings and it's showing up in empathy and then going back to that, that courage to be able to take a stand and use your voice. And the fact that you've been brave enough to walk that path means that you as a coach and a leader are creating opportunities for leaders to really lead. And I think, I think I'm just starting to really understand that on a deeper level as things are shifting and changing. And, and, you know, after 
in in my world, it's almost like because I have been staunch in my refusal to kind of go where a lot of the self-helpy coachy marketing has gone over the years. So that's why it's been such a relief to find that that environment because I feel like I'm speaking to my people and uh, and and learning with my people, which is amazing. It's how everybody wants to feel, right? Like that sense of belonging that, yeah, you might be a little bit of an outlier too when you look at society as a whole, but you're not such a special little snowflake. And there is, there is a, an approach that's going to work for you because otherwise, how do you lead anyone? How do you get any message out without, in, you know, sometimes I think about it like without, full on selling out or just buying it, which isn't sustainable. So yeah, I want to know, like, where did your journey sort of dovetail there? And then coming back around to WordGlue, because this is your distinct body of work. And I understand you did some work on it in that very same environment. Yeah. So I was born different. I was born with a cleft lip and palate. So I was, I had tons of surgeries as a little being and um, I learned really early on that life is not fair, that people are treated differently based on how they look, how they sound. Uh, you know, they failed me in grade one. I now have three uh, degrees or two degrees and like, I think, you know, good marks. Intelligence was not the problem but because of the way I spoke. Um, they thought I lacked intelligence, right? So it's very mm. Books were my savior, right? Books never beat anybody up. (laughs) Books are an escape. Books are a path. I remember as a little kid in my bedroom on Roseland Avenue, I would look at my bookcase. And I I remember one night my bookcase came alive. The toys came alive. I actually remember, like, I was such a little kid, right? But obviously I needed a magical world to cope with all the surges and all the rest of it. And good for my brain or good for the spirits that be. So my path, from that little kid who came out of the womb, um, not average, was a blessing because my friends were the different misfits early on. I learned how to f- literally fight for myself um, and I learned how to be brave. I learned that when that butterfly feeling came, that was not the time to be quiet. That was the time to speak up. That was the time to fight back. That was the time to speak up. Uh, I was an activist in a variety of different causes over my lifetime. One of the things I'm most proud of is at the University of Western Ontario, when I was the acting manager in residence at Soggy Maitland, one of the staff got attacked on campus. You know, that being a witness to the police interrogating her, the on-campus police interrogating her, I was a conscious leader in that moment. I went, that's not okay. That ended up with the UWS safety audit, the Western Foot Patrol, that that changed lives. So conscious leadership. So being different taught me empathy. Empathy taught me my my favorite expression. My mom said, I said all the time as a kid, that's not fair. So if I saw something that wasn't right, I learned because I had a kick-ass mom um, that you you could do something about it. You know, interestingly enough, she improved the park when I was a kid, I improved the park when I'm an adult because my mom, who was a business owner, my mom was a CEO at a time where moms were nurses and secretaries. So I learned from a brave gal, the book. Thank you, podcast listeners, for the patience. Um, all of you, I believe a book will change your life. Your book will change your life. And you all, anybody listening to this call, anybody following Laura has something they could say that would help somebody who's coming along. And I wrote a book, Word Glue, because I was working with these amazing companies, amazing people doing work that mattered, and they deserved to get noticed. And I wanted them to have every tool possible to ensure their success. And I was motivated by helping, you know, the Belindas of the world who run philanthropy organizations. I was motivated by the healers and the doctors and the foodies who are creating products that are good for the planet and for people. So I wanted to be an author because books had saved my life. And I wanted to to understand the process of writing so that I could write this book, but the other books that I have in me as well. Mm. And, and with your, with word glue, it's, it's a different book. Now I will, I, I will say this is the first full transparency. This is the first book on this podcast that I haven't written. So I haven't written, haven't read. 
And, and it's because we, we put this together so quickly and I got to understand some of the, the rationale behind it. And my understanding is that it is intended to be your way of disseminating everything you know that you've worked with these larger companies to do into the hands of the, the creator, the, the, the creative, the leader who is looking to, you know, have that equivalent experience of some kind of weird divine guidance to find their, their name. Like there are steps that you can go through that would engineer you. Uh, and maybe I would have come up with a, a different, even better name. I don't know. But there's three parts in your book. This I know from your website. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the arc of it and, and what people would, how they would benefit from it? I will. And I'll also say for those of you who are listening, your book will become elegant over time. You'll figure out what are the sections that are necessary to be of service. And so for me, the first section is how, what are the principles of naming? There's seven principles. And if you know those principles, like don't name your business after yourself is, in, is, um, <laughs> is one of them. <laughs> well, it's not one of the principles, but it's in a cluster of principles. So I look at the research. So I look at the research. I look at the, the brain science. So if you understand these seven principles, you need to be brave, not blah. You need to pull focus. That's the first section. And then pop, like I spent, the first edition didn't have every naming method in it. But the final edition does. I spent a couple of years noticing every time I saw a name, what's that technique? I looked at all the game-changing companies. So the haagen the Rolexes, the Apples, the YouTubes, the Googles, um, Ladies Who Shoot Their Lunch, which is the wine, that bottle that's behind me for those of you seeing this. Um, I didn't name them, but I helped them tell their story and win an Australian Marketing Institute Award. I looked at all the names to figure out, okay, what? is the story behind the name, what's the strategy they use, and what are the steps that people can take. So in that middle section, it's the tip, dip, and flip book. You can flip through, find the tip you like, and dip into it, and in 10 minutes, generate new names. And then the last section is pro. Now that you've got your name, how do you launch it? How do you do with legals? How do you get your brand designer to develop a good logo? And that's where we talk about Wade, because Wade did the cover of the book, and Wade Kip Giflin of Sherpa Creative did your branding. So the book yeah. is an agency in your pocket. I mean, you know, um, Lexicon charges $40,000 to name a global brand. And that's their base price. And I wanted some of these entrepreneurs who are professionals to be able to have everything they needed because at that stage, they can't afford a big agency. Right. And just to backtrack there, you said, and I want, you said it clearly. I just didn't remember it well enough because I wanted to jump on it. You said a what in your pocket? It's a, it's an agency, an agency in your pocket. Yeah. So you've got a naming agency in your pocket. So I give the Q12, which are the strategic questions you have to ask to get at the foundation of your naming. You've got all the naming techniques and then you've got all the launch strategies. So I even talk about how to do a brand roadmap. My mom at the back cover said, I put her quote on the back cover. She said, why are you giving away your secrets? <laughs> and I gave away my secrets. I know. I'm, I gave away my secrets because a conscious leader also knows they might not be on the planet for very long. So be generous. Yeah. Generous. Um, you, and in fact, you generously mentioned Wade in this, this is just too good not to share. So, um, so Wade Gilpin, who is one of the owners of Sherpa Creative here in Toronto, somehow, some way, we put it together that he did your book cover and he had already done my branding for Free Your Inner Guru. So there were zero degrees of separation between you and I and triangulating out to Wade. And it's two very, very different um, looks and feels, but they're both... I got, I got to tell you after, and this is how I think as I went through it, it wasn't always, um, I wasn't always very confident with the brand. I was shy around it and, and then creating the visual aspect of it required a ton of guidance as well, which, which I got from Wade, which was amazing. But even now, three, four years later, it was a stretch for me to make that investment. But man, I got to tell you. Every day, I am grateful for, A, for the work 
of the design that's in the brand, but also that I trusted my, you know, my nervous gut to make that investment because as things are moving along and I'm able to use it differently, a good brand, my understanding is that a strong brand, a good brand is it's not just a logo. It will be able to flex and grow with you over time. And, and I think that's the same thing with a name, right? Like you want that to be able to, you don't have to re- rename every two years. Well, and sometimes people do because you get it, you'll start out and you'll get the wrong name and then you need to rename it. But let's go to Wade. Yeah, Wade is great. And if you can invest in a good designer, design is a competitive advantage because it gives your audience confidence and you want to, I mean, you're a total pro. Laura, you're a total pro. And when you brand yourself by using a professional, then your brand has integrity. You are pro, your brand looks pro. And it gives folks that ease that, ah, I can trust you. You know, Seth talks about the attention trust cycle. A good name will get you attention. Your tagline, your story, your look, all of that unconsciously most of the time leads to a feeling of confidence to continue giving attention. You begin to trust every little step that you have taken if you take it professionally. That's the piece that requires faith. At least it did for me at that point in time, three years ago. If I, if I look back at the journey, um, the, it, it started rather abruptly in 2015 after moving back to Toronto and saying, as much as I had this really great consulting gig that didn't need, need a, 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 another name it, in the, I was in the auto business and, and I had such a, a, a wonderful clientele, very loyal. And, and it just wasn't a business that I wanted to invest in the infrastructure to be able to operate at long distance or started again for the third time. Cause I'd started it here, moved out there on the strength of it, then came back. And so it was like you said about moving to Australia and not having any network. No, really, even though friends, family here, so much had happened in the intervening just about 10 years, it was nine plus years that I was coming back to a whole different world professionally. So that's when, you know, there's this There's so much tension on that journey in the early stages about what to invest in, what to hold off on, what to do it yourself. And as I I think that's to bootstrap it and, and what to, what to not negotiate on, on wanting to go total pro. And even still, you know, it's, it's something that there's probably some really good things like your name and your brand, but from there it's, it's open season. And you have to be very careful. You're right. As you make those decisions, because there are some people who say they're pro and they're not, and they're happy to take your money. And, um, you know, what happens is people like you and I end up with pros like Wade, because we get these trusted referrals. We end up making better decisions because we've got people around us saying, yes, you've got the right name. Now bring it to life or no, be humble. It won't serve you. You need to bring in a naming expert to just take you over the line to a name that's going to have that bounce and that energy that young people are going to going to like. So I wrote my book so people could do it on their own, or they could do a chunk of it and then bring me in for a bit, or they could say, like the CEO runs a multinational company, needed a new name that would trademark in five is five countries so he could sell it. He's like, "You're the best. You're the only one who's written a book." you're in like, there's a couple other people, but I'm the only one in Australia who's written a naming book and only one of four people in the world who've written a a real naming book. Um, And that is why your audience who are leaders, you might want to write a book for your niche. I wrote a naming handbook for professionals. It's a niche premium offering. And if your audience wants to stand out and they've got the guts or they can put themselves around people like you to support them on that journey to hit print. Um, they're going to earn more attention. They're going to earn more trust. Well, and, and I think the, if you can also find a community of like-minded people doing the same or similar, your 
it's like, it gives you air underneath your wings, right? Like no, no holds barred. I'm writing my book right now. And it's grueling. Like it really is grueling. I've chosen the, the toughest two chapters first, but it's, it's the toughest. It's the two chapters that make the most sense just to, to lay down <laughs> for someone else to help me sort through. And it's, I also think that like, I admire anyone who has completed a book. It, it's, it's, to me, it's the equivalent of that master's degree thesis that you can just like, a, well, I've got a, I've got a degree that I haven't really ever benefited from unless you count getting a second degree <laughs> for it. But it's, it's that being able to complete something. And so, like my sister-in-law is, um, she, she oh, what's her genre? Um, romance. We'll call it her, her. She is a romance novelist and she has written, I bet she's got 20 books written in the last, and I mean, good books. And, you know, she, she is a total, you use the word pro. She's a total pro. And watching that over the years and the body of work that accumulates is something else. It's a sight to behold. So, you know, it's, that's gotta be also in terms of yours, like your, um, your word glue has won three awards this year so far. It's, and it's up for two more. So it won the gold medal uh, with the Axiom Business Book Awards, which blew my socks off. So I'm a self-published author. It's an, and that has a negative connotation. Uh, but I reviewed books for the Canadian Book Review Annual for years. I knew what the good books looked like, sounded like, felt like. Um, and so I knew I could do a good book. And I use CES TMS, the marketing seminar, which I highly recommend to everybody as a platform to take my book from good to great. And when I say great, I don't say that from ego. I mean, somebody outside who was judging books from Harvard Business Press, Wiley, McGraw-Hill chose my book for the gold medal. And, and, and I have to say in the reference category, it's a how-to book. It also won a platinum, which is the highest level award, Axiom didn't have a higher level. Gold was a top, but um, Hermes Creative Award gave me the Platinum Award and uh, the Muse Creative Award. So these are marketing uh, awards because this is a marketing tool, right? You don't have a bad, if you've got a bad name, it doesn't matter how well you market yourselves. So those were the two marketing awards. And then there's a NYX Creative Award, which will be announced in June. And the Writer's Digest will be announced in uh January, I think of next year or December. And I applied for these awards. So you apply yourself. I'm, I was also told to apply to some of these. I applied because I wanted external bodies to say, this is a value. I knew it was a value because of how hard I worked. And I've done a master's degree in adult education. I wrote that thesis. Writing the book was harder because I'm, we're dealing with designers, my internal designer, Julia Affleck. I'm dealing with amazing editors. Uh, Ruth Wilson out on the West Coast was brilliant. So you're managing a team, you're managing printers, you're managing, like, it's, it's a different beast. But what happens, and you, this will happen to you too, Aurora Tucker, of Free Your Inner Guru, is who you become at the end of that journey deepens. Your knowing deepens. Your ability to help others deepens. When you stand, as my friends maybe do, stand and go, I'm an award-winning author. And they maybe repeat that over and over again. Your power pose. <laughs> oh, no. Yes, exactly. The power pose, I'm an award-winning author. It's like suddenly you're like, oh, my gosh. And I've been a champion figure skater at the master's level. I've done all sorts of, you know, all sorts of crazy, cool things. But there's just something of like nobody can take that away. There's an inner strength that is affirmed, not that we should have external validation, but I chose the journey. I, it's, it's, look, it's this, it's um, the hero's journey. A hundred percent. I was going to, I was going to interject with that, Louise. Yeah. And you know, what I, where I disagree, you know, in the, in the traditional hero's journey, you slay the dragon and I'm not slaying anything. Um, I befriended the dragon. I was born in the year of the dragon. I befriended that dragon and it became a part of me. And I think that's, I, I love the hero's journey because I, I fell in love with Joseph Campbell at a very young age. And then, you know, just have 
have eaten that stuff up because I've, and I've never seen it as particularly gendered as either. So it's, it's this coming from whatever the journey is, there's always challenges. There's always the dragon and there's the fear and everybody's dragon could be different or it could be the fear and, you know, coming back with something to teach like the, the, the heroes or the heroine's journey is not complete until the knight comes back from being a warrior to society to guide and lead. That's the leader's journey. The hero is the leader. They're the protagonist of the story. And, and so, and, and I love this conversation, not only because it encourages me to sit my butt down and get the fingers onto the keyboard, um, but it also, I think, in very much the spirit of um, so many things, like, you know, with, uh, when I came back and said I was a coach, no, everyone's a coach. You always hear this, you know, the, the nattering chatter. And, and there's nattering chatter about, well, everyone has a book these days. And a book is just a, you know, today's business card and anyone can have a book. There's always the, the naysayers. And it, it validates it validates or brings it back out into the open that, well, actually, no, not everybody does. Yeah, and not, not, and I've seen some of those get a book cause you need it um, books and you can tell that they've been written badly quickly. Um, they've been written for them. They've been, uh, so you can tell, you can tell in seconds what kind of book it is. And your book will be a professional book because you are putting your heart and soul into it. And because like a hologram, if you slice a hologram, each part of the hologram has a hologram in it, right? How you do one thing is how you do everything. So your book will be an amazing book and I'm happy to order the first copy now. Send me the link. I'll do a pre-order. <laughs> um, if, um, if someone's listening, Louise, and they want to go on this journey to get a name that stands out and not leave it up to the muse or the strange coincidences on a Sunday while you're searching around the internets. Um, what is their best way to be in touch with you? And I'd love you to, to, to handle that question on the level of I'm a solopreneur and I know that I need to level up all the way to I'm the CEO of a corporation because I, this audience includes both ends of that spectrum. Right. So, um, word glue, triple W word glue.co is how you can reach me. That's where you can order the book. The book will take you through the Q12, which is the foundational questions. And then we'll also give you the exercises. The muse matters walking around on a Sunday, I do that. When I'm naming an international company, I will go for a wander. I will have names come at me in the shower. All that matters. With naming, you turn up and you generate names every single day. Sometimes I'm generating up to 2,000 names to find the one that I can grab and trademark in five, eight countries. I'm working on a um, name now that I have to be able to trademark in eight countries in the Middle East. How cool is that? And I wouldn't have got that gig without the book, just saying. So you can do the book on your own. That's the do-it-yourself version. You can do the book and then bring me in for a consult as a coach. If you've got a bunch of names and you're not sure what's truly sticky, um, or you're just, you're, you're, yeah, just, you're just a little stuck, um, or you can hire me and I'll do the whole process and I'll generate names for you and I'll do a short list and you can, I'll train your team. Like I, I'm basically, I, I come in in different ways. So the company that I'm naming in the Middle East, um, I'm going to be training the team on naming principles tomorrow. Oh, wow. That's so exciting. I know. I love what this is doing for you. And I love you bringing your enthusiasm and energy here and, and sharing all of this um, in, in just, I love this podcast because I get to have these wide ranging conversations with such amazing people and, you know, and get to bring you into my room, so to speak um, from around the world. It's truly, truly magical. So, uh, so on that note, um, Thank you so much for coming in. And I will put links to everywhere that you want to be found in the show notes, as well as to Wade and, and Sherpa 
And when I'm reviewing anything else that we mentioned, all the links will be there for, for everyone to get a hold of. Great. And I'll add Julia to that because she did the internals of my book. And um, I'll let you, I'll ask the other editors if they want their name shared in that format or, or not. If not, they can reach out to me and I'm happy to share that. And you, okay. darling, thank you for your brave journey because you have made brave choice after brave choice. So thank you. Your bravery is giving you a heart of service. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that, Louise. And look forward to the next time that our, that our paths cross. Thanks for listening. I know you have a lot of choice where you get your podcast love from. And so I am grateful that you are here. If you've enjoyed today's episode and you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to Free Your Inner Guru on whatever podcasting app or platform you're listening on. If you're a web user or you would like to receive our weekly email newsletter from the brand new freeyourinnerguru.com, just pop on over to the website. There's a link in the show notes and you can put your email address in there. You'll also notice that there are now distinct social media accounts for the Free Your Inner Guru podcast. So if you're a user uh, regularly of Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Make sure you connect with us there and I'm happy to um, connect with you as well as just to build out the community on freeyourinnerguru.com. It is now super easy to find the page for our leadership community. If you're looking to connect with highly positive, like-minded, conscious leaders once or twice a month, make sure you check out freeyourinnerguru.com slash leadership community, or you'll find it in the menus and you can join us on the first and third Fridays of each month live on zoom for a facilitated session. And the feedback over the last several months as we've been in a small beta format has been incredibly positive. So I'll be sharing more on that in future episodes. Next week, we have Seth Godin, who joins me to talk about his brand new book called The Practice. That wraps it up for today. I'm Laura Tucker, signing off for Free Your Inner Guru. Mm -hmm.